My name is Al Morton and this is episode 8 of my podcast. Thank you for joining me. In this episode, I discuss Twitter's response to the question, should Nigel Farage be given a knighthood? Boris Johnson's home decorating bows and which factor sunblock works best in the event that Britain launches its new Trident nuclear missiles. We will be clapping Dido Harding and Circo's great value, Test and Trace. We will also find out which bully is the greatest, Meghan Markle or everybody's favourite, Pretty Patel. Plus, we answer the age-old question, are the royal family racists? There will be music from Mike Britton, and I may even play something myself if I can get my guitar out of hock. Finally, we learn what happens when you cancel the musicians you booked for your bingo night. We've got a lot to get through, so without much of ado... We're coming up on the anniversary of lockdown and the first of these broadcasts. I started, uh, oh, it doesn't really matter when it was, but it was March last year. And in that time, I just about managed to get seven of these damn things out, which I guess is not a very good track record, really. But the, one of the difficulties is that it's a challenging demographic with just 49% of listeners being between the ages of 12 and 34 and 22% of listeners being 55 and over, which is great. Well, it... it it would be if I was between the ages of 12 and 34. So I'm kind of thinking that uh, uh, this demographic are probably not going to be too taken with me wagging on about Boris Johnson and his fiancée. But, uh, spoiler alert, I'm going to do exactly that. In a minute. But first, my go-to place for humour really is Twitter although it does tend to be filled with insults by way of example is this tweet from that great great publication putting a voice to the seldom heard far right the Daily Express they were highlighting their lead article which ran something along the lines of uh, let me see if I can find it here should Nigel Farage be given a knighthood well that's a very interesting question, and I'm sure that the article would be wonderful if I could be bothered to read it. But as ever, the real humour is in the comments, uh, which I, I'm just going to read one or two of them to you, but <laughs> I might have to redact some of them. <laughs> Max says, should Harold Shipman be commemorated in a special public holiday? That's a very interesting point, Mags. Although I'm personally thinking that if there is going to be a Harold Shipman Award, it rightly belongs to Matt Hancock for his protective ring around care homes. Lynette Locke says, For what exactly? Lying? Attending around two out of 42 meetings on fisheries as an MEP? Breaking lockdown to spy on refugees? Oh, the list is endless. You're right there, Lynn. Sorry, David Holland says, I've eaten cheeseburgers more deserving of a knighthood. <laughs> and and Jackick adds, was it the smell? <laughs> Stephen Aintree uh, finishes up by saying, that's one of the dimmest tweets I've ever seen in my life, possibly in the history of Twitter. Well, <laughs> I'm guessing you must be pretty new to Twitter. 
but thank you for that, Stephen. I'm, I'm a musician. I like to talk about the guitar and things that have happened to me in my travels. And also being a, an expat, although I hate the term expat, I am a British migrant living in Spain. Expat just sounds so elitist. And it's also, it's a favoured term by Brexiteers. And everyone knows what I think about that. Before we go any further, here's a quick word from our sponsor, Covid Quarantine Hotels, taking back control of British borders, unless you have the South African variant of the virus of course, in which case, come on in, public transport will be fine and don't pay any heed to the 34 billion, sorry, uh, correction there, uh, 37 billion. Yes, you heard right. 37 billion, that wonderful test, trace and track program. Having narrowed down the missing infected person down to at least the last 364 in completely the wrong area, the missing person was discovered only after he called to ask why his test result hadn't come back. Great job. Uh, uh, hello, is that, is that the um, uh, our COVID hotline? I've just flown back from Brazil and I have a raised temperature and I'm feeling a bit sort of skanky, to be honest. It's at this point that the core centre queuing system would have probably kicked in. Uh, thank you for calling the COVID hotline. Your call is, of course, important to us. None of our operators are available at the moment. Thank you for holding. You are 376 in the queue. Your call will be recorded for quality control and staff training purposes. You can also download our self-help manual from the COVID Rapid Response Awareness Government website or call back at a more convenient time as we're all busy skiing and getting our horses ready for the Cheltenham Festival. We interrupt this podcast to bring you some breaking news. Prime Minister Johnson has just made another U-turn on the 1% pay rise for nurses and NHS workers. Instead, they're going to be given a whacking great 10% increase in claps. Yes, you heard it right. 10% more clapping than the very same people found guilty by a British judge of giving millions in untendered contracts to their mates and Tory party donors. Sadly, there just isn't the money to pay the NHS staff who lost over 600 of their own whilst having to wear bin bags due to Johnson's refusal to take the pandemic seriously. Not that we can blame him. He didn't even attend the first five COBRA meetings. So how could he know? Still, it's heartening that they were able to find an additional 40% pay rise for Dominic Cummings before his departure. Which brings me neatly onto the Carrie Simmons issue which I alluded to earlier. Princess Nut Nut. It would seem that the apartment that the Prime Minister shares with his fiancée, above number 11, is in need of some kind of refurbishment and... Uh, 
people are becoming very worried about the uh, six-figure sum that is being bandied about as a costing. And <laughs> I spotted a headline in, uh, I think it was The Independent, uh, from Tom Peck, who says, We mustn't grumble about the cost of Carrie Simmons' exquisite tastes. No one likes to look cheap after all. <laughs> No, seriously, there is a problem there. And the, the, the problem I have with it is that uh, there's a proposal that uh, this money is raised by Tory donors or some sort of charity to fund this redecoration work. And I'm left thinking, why? We've got a footballer, Marcus Rashford, who has been campaigning to raise money, charitable money, for uh, poor children in the UK. And then we've got a Prime Minister that is trying to raise money to pay for the refurbishment of his apartment. Really? I mean, what are these people on about who say that Carrie Simmons has got bad taste? In other news, Meghan Markle finally spilled the beans on the royal family in her interview with Opera, two hours of magical royalty. But, (laughs) of course, the tabloids are foaming at the mouth and full of the usual vitriol, and they don't lose any opportunity to smear the reputation of Meghan Markle. And I, I don't know why this should be, really. I mean, what is it about a mixed race Meghan Markle that the British right wing media don't like? Apparently, there's going to be an investigation into the many allegations of her bullying her staff. And, (laughs) I I mean, if she is found guilty of bullying, I mean, will she have to resign as Secretary of State? Thank you, James O'Brien, for that one. (laughs) And one last word about the uh, Meghan Markle shocking revelations. (laughs) Watching the press chase after Prince William put me very much in mind of an early episode of Father Ted. Only in this episode, we catch up with Prince William on his way to Balmoral. (laughs) Hello there, Prince William. (laughs) Hello, Piers. (laughs) I hear the royal family are racists now. What? How did you get interested in that type of thing? Uh, Who says we're racists? Everybody is saying it, Your Highness. Should we all be racists now? I mean, what's the official line the Archbishop of Canterbury is taking? (laughs) I want to end this section with a quick reminder that whilst the media bleat on about the alleged bullying of Meghan Markle and the proven bullying by Priti Patel, Secretary of State for the Home, of Philip Rutnam, a senior civil servant, this all ended in a £340,000 payout from the public purse or the equivalent of a year's salary for 13 newly qualified nurses. No wonder there isn't any money left. Although I thought we were supposed to be getting £350 a week for the NHS for leaving the EU, I'm sure I read that somewhere, maybe on the side of a red bus. (laughs) 
We're going to move on from politics, don't worry. But I just wanted to uh, redo this. It's another tweet from Sarah Murphy. The Downing Street makeover, the Patel Outer Court settlement, the can't track or trace billions, the slashing of aid to war-torn Yemen, the 1% for NHS nurses, they know, they choose, they don't give a flying flying And now back to your regularly scheduled programme. One of the problems with trying to produce a podcast whilst in the midst of lockdown is that we don't actually go anywhere. It's it's kind of like trying to produce a prison radio show from the dangerous inmates' wing. So at the, at the risk of sounding slightly unhinged, I want to talk to you about Mr. Potato Head. And I'm not talking about Boris Johnson, although if the cap fits... And the reason I mention this is that there is outrage in the press because Mr. Potato Head, Hasbro's Mr. Potato Head, is no longer allowed to be called that and is being marketed simply as Potato Head. And why does this matter? Well, quite honestly, it doesn't. Their marketing plan is to have an extended range of toys. So they're trying to be more inclusive and children will be able to enjoy having a Potato Head family. And... All I can say is that this is a storm in a teacup, basically. It's nothing. But as long as the lockdown continues, we're all probably going to end up looking like potato heads. At this point, I normally like to say something funny or inject a little bit of humour into uh, what we're talking about. But today... I'm just not able to do that. And I'm I'm just going to take a few moments. I don't even know if this is going to make it through the final edit. So uh, if you hear it, great. If you don't, well, you didn't hear it. (laughs) So if you heard my last podcast, you would have heard me talking about the woman who, after almost the 17 years I've been in Spain, (laughs) it took her 10 years to tell me that the paella that I cooked her was actually not bad for an Englishman. <laughs> well, I attended the mass of um, that person today uh, with her husband and young son, who's the same age as my son. Uh, one of the most painful experiences. I, I, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. But it just brought home to me the reality of this terrible disease people are dying of covid pneumonia and it makes my blood boil that there are people out there that are still saying oh i don't want them i i'm not going to have the vaccination oh i don't think it's an invasion of my human rights to have to wear a mask this thing is real and i saw it today firsthand and i don't know if this is going to stay in but uh, if it does I just want people out there to know that it is real. These are real people that are dying. They are real human beings with families, and it does matter. You're listening to the Al Morton Podcast, Episode 8. One of the things I like to talk about is... The differences between life here 
in uh, in Spain, this part of Spain. I live on the Valencian coast uh, between Valencia and Alicante. And I thought I'd tell you about the unlucky lottery vendor. He would visit the various bars around the seafront and occasionally we'd see him in town. And uh, I had bought tickets from him from time to time. And uh, I spoke to uh, one of one of my uh, Spanish friends and she said, Oh, you mustn't buy, you mustn't buy tickets from him. That's the unlucky lottery vendor. And I said, what? <laughs> she said, yes, no, I know loads of people who bought lottery tickets from him and they haven't won. So he's he's been dubbed the unlucky lottery vendor, which I think is a little unfair, really. I mean, the only reason he's unlucky is because <laughs> a lot of Spanish people won't buy tickets from him. But we still got the tourists. <laughs> I mean, they're lucky, aren't they? And for me, <laughs> this is a. a a kind of timely reminder, really, because luck can be quite fickle, <laughs> especially on the Mediterranean. And it reminds me of the story in 2018 of the big lottery winner, Jose Luis Rodriguez Lopez, um, who was a, a businessman in Huesca, and he won um, a share of the El Gordo lottery, the Christmas lottery that we have. And his share was something in the region of about 400,000 euros. It, w- it was a good win. But sadly, he, he didn't live to collect it. He, he died three days later. And I don't know if the unlucky lottery vendor was involved in the sale of the ticket, but there are those that have their suspicions. <laughs> I, I, it's not funny, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> now Sunday morning and there's a warm Saharan breeze. I can hear the animated chatter of people out enjoying a Sunday lunch on the terraces of the local bars. However, the news from the UK is full of sadness and for good reason. The death of Sarah Eberhardt on Clapham Common and the charge of murder against a policeman is making the headlines, but more so the assault of women who wanted to hold a peaceful vigil on the common. And I, I wouldn't normally touch on this, except that it had me thinking about why this is. My, my wife said that she didn't even know about the case last night. There wasn't very much coverage on the BBC or Sky News. And I hadn't paid any attention to it because uh, Twitter was absolutely full of outrage at what was happening. And some pretty shocking pictures of Patsy Stevenson being pinned to the ground by two burly policemen. I, I believe that she received a £200 fine for breach of public order. And I'm left wondering, didn't anyone stop for a moment and think, oh, this might look kind of bad? <laughs> I mean, we let people protest against all sorts of things, but uh, a bunch of women, uh, they're a real danger, aren't they? <laughs> Actually, my, my wife's a black belt, so... <laughs> Uh, Yes, they can be, but that's not the point. The thing is that the British government are sick of people objecting to things that don't fit their agenda. They 
really hate anyone who's got anything to say against Brexit. They, we had the whole thing with Black Lives Matter and that dreadful Colston statue being tossed into the harbour. Uh, and, and now we've got a special law to protect our statues. What we actually need a law for is to protect people from this government. This is BBC One. We're interrupting our programme for a BBC News report. The BBC have a new government-appointed director-general. Well, let, let me just read you something from... Again, I'm sorry if I quote the Daily Express too much, but really it is just an infinite mine of misinformation. <laughs> BBC show Axed, following years of woke left-wing criticism, The Mash Report... Although I'm left wondering what they're going to replace left-wing comedy with. I suppose uh, we, we, we're going to have to find some right-wing comedians. <laughs> oh, come back, Jim Davidson. We miss your humour. <laughs> Actually, I can tell you some stories about my dealings with Jim, but I'll save that for another podcast. <laughs> so, as I said earlier, uh, it got me thinking about how something like this would uh, be dealt with in Spain. Firstly, when, when there are protests in Spain, the police are pretty quick to act and they will act with fairly brutal force if they feel they need to. And people have just got used to that. That is part of, I mean, Spain's got a very complicated police system anyway. We we have two types of police. We have the regular uh, policia local and we have the Guardia Civil, which was formed out of the remnants of uh, the Franco regime. The uh, Guardia Civil, they are pretty strict at enforcement. Uh, They don't mess about. But the other thing that I would say, the other big difference between policing in Spain and policing in the UK is that Spanish police, they are told that they do not have to put up with abuse. So if you were to chant or swear at Spanish police at a protest, they would react in similar ways to what we saw in the Clapham Common incident, but maybe more forcefully. And there wouldn't be very much, uh, there would be criticism of it, of course, but there wouldn't be very much media criticism of it because it's normal, it's what's expected, it's, it's not news. Whereas British police, in the minds of most people, we still think of the police as being there to, I'm going to borrow an American term here, but to protect and serve. I don't think for a minute that people join up to go through the training to become a policeman in order to not help people or beat people up and especially not to abuse women. I I say this because one of my cousins is a retired police officer and some of my karate buddies are high up in the police service as well. That isn't what this is about. These kind of problems, they come from the top down I mean, if you walk into a tall office block and the doorman is rude to you, you can be pretty certain that the person at the very top floor is running some sort of regime that is hostile. And where have we heard a hostile regime before? That's right. It's the immigration policy of Brexit. And as if to emphasise this, there was one awful tweet from... Leave UK, I think it was. And they were retweeting that now iconic picture of Patsy Stevenson being arrested, lying on the floor, face down, very striking woman. And the comment was, 
not a great day for gingers. And I think that sums up the problem. The people who are backing this hostile regime, their sympathies lie with the men who are brutalising these women. They don't want peaceful protest. They want a more authoritarian state. And I saw in a poll today that uh, Johnson's ratings are, he's now well ahead of Labour, uh, riding on the success of the vaccine rollout, which is impressive. And everyone has forgotten about the 140,000 people that have died. All right. I promise I will leave politics in a minute. But I just wanted to say something quickly about vaccine nationalism. There's only one vaccine supplied at cost at the moment, and that's the AstraZeneca vaccine. It has been verified, has good efficacy. It's been tested by both the UK Medicines Agency and the EU. And I find it really suspicious that there are so many reports of problems with it. Who in a corrupt society would benefit from that? Just for clarity, I would take the vaccine today if it was offered, and so would my immediate family. And to make matters worse, my son, who is a a karate instructor and teaches at a local school, he was scheduled to have the AstraZeneca vaccine this week, and now it has been postponed. And the reason for postponing it is because of unsubstantiated scare stories. And I have to say... Had it been available for my friend whose mass I attended last week, I'm almost certain she would be alive right now. And I'm wondering how many more people are going to die as a result of not receiving this vaccine just so that pharmaceutical companies can make a good profit. And secondly, I genuinely don't believe that increasing the Trident nuclear warhead stock by 40% is going to make a global Britain a safer place. If you're supporting this crazy escalation, you should be afraid. Don't think that for a minute the UK would be able to launch without permission from the US. Where are they going to be launched from anyway? The new £2.4 million Russian-built media centre in number 10? I lived through the Cuban Missile Crisis. I, I was a kid at the time. But I remember the terrible fear that we all had when we heard those training broadcasts that told us what to do in case of a nuclear strike. We came so close to Armageddon, it was unbelievable. And signalling a return to hard power. An extra £24 billion in defence, allowing the wholesale modernisation of our armed forces and taking forward the renewal of our nuclear deterrent. Oops. If you survived that, well done. And if you're still with us, it's time for another guitar story. Be prepared to be shocked and amazed. This one goes right back, really. For a short while, I lived in the north of England. I was based in Huddersfield. And our little trio, we were kept busy playing the working man's clubs around Leeds, Manchester and Halifax. So I think I must have been about 22, 23. And one of our busiest days of the week, surprisingly enough, was Saturday and a Friday and sometimes Sunday as well. But the Saturday was always a good gig for us because 
we would play somewhere like Leeds Omnibus Club in the morning and then come back and then play for the evening session and then after that we would then go and play a nightclub and uh, (laughs) so it was a triple day and these were typical working men's clubs and it's been so long since I've been in the UK I don't know if they still exist but there would always be a resident duo a sort of Hammond organ and someone who would maybe sing very often acts would arrive and they would give the organist their music and then they would get on with it you know and you were expected to sight read your part and we would do this sometimes and one of the acts that we used to have to back were the strippers <laughs> these were quite brassy northern lasses they would be sort of working in um, Batley textile mill or something and, and then on the weekends <laughs> they would have this job on the side and we were all trying to get by as best we could I mean, honestly they, they, were, they were lovely girls I'm not going to lie I, I was a little bit scared of them <laughs> so we did this um <laughs> We didn't always get to back the strippers, but uh, we did this one Saturday morning show and we were booked to appear later that evening. We arrived at this typical spit and sawdust working man's club. I think it was somewhere like Stone Chair Variety Club. I, I don't even know if that still exists. It, it was a kind of place where you'd be, <laughs> you'd, you'd be busy playing some Beatles song and the chairman would often walk on stage and interrupt you. On this particular occasion... He uh, pushed us apart, <laughs> uh, grabbed hold of the microphone. Uh, test, test, testing. Uh, uh, thank you, Turn. Uh, just a, a quick announcement. Chicken in basket will now be served beyond bar. Thank you, Turn. Oh, 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 while I think of it, um, we got one for the boys tonight, so uh, I'd like to see you all there. You know what I mean? <laughs> Carry on, Turn. One for the boys was always bad news. The upshot of this was that he he basically paid us off after the gig and told us not to come back. And we were seething about this because we were expecting to be playing that night, but they booked the strippers. But it didn't matter because we were scheduled to return the next morning. The next day, we were busy setting up and the uh, chairman wandered in and he said, well, I'm sorry about last night, lads. Uh, you know how it is. <laughs> we we knew exactly how it was. If it was a choice between, I think we were called the Ash Blue Trio or something vile like that, or a stripper, there was no contest. And the backstage area had a curtain across the stage. It was a space we often shared with, things like the bingo machine. <laughs> and it was then that I noticed that our, our drummer was burrowing in the bingo machine and fishing out some of the bingo balls. And he would hold them up and he'd look at them. And sometimes he'd put them back. And every now and again, he'd find one. And then he'd put it on the ground and stamp on it. And I said, what are you doing? <laughs> and without a word of a lie, he looked at me and said, I sneaked a look at the chairman's bingo card. (laughs) It's going to take him a very long time to get a full house tonight. (laughs) It's a true story. You've been listening to the Al Morton Podcast. 
I'm going to leave the final word to my great friend, Mike Britton. This was uh, an extract from his last email. I trust the Spanish are treating you well, despite your being a hated foreigner and author of all their ills, including dangerous coronavirus strains from Kent and stealing their jobs, women, houses, beach chairs and restaurant tables. Be careful and stay low profile lest anti-British sentiment manifests itself in the uncouth mobs daubing your front door in the middle of the night with ironic Brexit slogans. Thank you, Mike, for those comforting words. And I did promise at the beginning of this podcast that uh, we would be hearing some music from you. Here he is playing us out with Chicoria's Spain with the truly amazing Paul Buck on keyboards. Search out Don't Peak Too Soon by Mike Britton on YouTube for the full album. It's completely free and a treasure trove of jazz classics. It just remains for me to credit all the musicians whose contributions made this possible. Lastly, my own excerpt of Spanish guitar was Natalia or Faust No. 3 by Antonio Lauro. Serenata Española, written by Joaquin Malatz and played by myself. Johnson's music was Funky Disco, performed by Biz Bass Studio and provided by music lover No Copyright Music. Links on almorton.com. Music on hold for the COVID hotline was Lift Music, provided by Incompetech.com. The unlucky lottery vendor theme was Sad Instrumental Gypsy Rumba by Nick Neblo with jazz guitar improvisations by myself. The Father Ted style theme tune was played by Ema. The Hammond Blues Shuffle B3 organ jam for the Bingo Balls stripper segment was played by Sjord Hammond. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Check him out on YouTube. If you enjoyed this podcast, like or subscribe and leave a comment. It really does make a difference. Until next time, bye. Hi there, me hearties. You're listening to a trailer for episode 9 of the Alborton Takeout. The Pirate Code. War. It all rather puts me in mind of that scene in Pirates of the Caribbean. You know the one. When Elizabeth Swan, played by Liz Truss, confronts the captain of the Black Pearl, Hector Barbossa, about his lack of adherence to the pirate code. First, 
Your return to government was not part of our negotiations nor agreement, so I must do nothing. Secondly, you must be an actual pirate for the Tory ministerial code to apply. <laughs> It was the pay cut, in real terms, for NHS staff that pushed me personally to the darkest places. I was accused on Twitter of imagining a lot, and I realised that whilst the reply was intended to be derogatory, it was also true. For example, I found myself wondering, what would happen when the Prime Minister went for his photo opportunity COVID jab? and found himself facing a Ukrainian health worker. You're not the nurse they showed me in the briefing photos. No, Mr. Johnson. I am the one whose wife, Pretty Patel, had deported last week. Say you like to call me Vlad, the Impaler. Ah! Meanwhile, back in the Nasty Party headquarters, a crack team of marketing experts prepare to launch a new party political broadcast. (laughs) Is the microphone on? Ah yes, Prime Minister, you should just try talking into the bit that's sticking out right there, sir. Oh goodness, what will they think of next? You've spoken with the BBC, right? Yes, sir. They've cleared their entire schedule and are working on a four-hour documentary of your brilliant vaccine rollout. Oh, jolly good. Do make sure they mention my vaccination rollout. Three, two, one, and... This is a party political broadcast on behalf of the Nasty Party. Oh, jeepers. I spilt my sudden coffee. Would you be kind enough to get me some more, dear? And can I just say that you're looking quite resplendent in that well-fitting dress? A bit long, perhaps. Oh, it's still running. Oh, okay, all right, jolly good. <laughs> On the show. I should admit it, but I did enjoy the sight of two British warships sailing to France. Was the headlines of the Daily Mail and the Express proclaimed, We're ready for war. Really? <laughs> You're listening to a trailer for episode 9 The Pirate Code of the Almorton Takeout. I look forward to catching up with you later. Bye.